Thank you, Wes, for reading our scripture tonight. Appreciate so much, Wes, and all of our young men. We're very grateful for their ability and very proud of them and pray that God will use them in a great way as they grow older in this life. It's good to have Jared's parents with us tonight. We're glad that they made it safely into town, and we hope that uh, they'll have a great visit this week. Know that they're happy to be here, and we're happy to see them. And so certainly want to wish them well, and we pray for their efforts and all the good that they're doing. We are looking tonight at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, thank you for being here. We appreciate so much those of you who are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back. We are honored by your presence. We are so thankful that you have chosen to be here tonight. And we want to invite you to come back at every opportunity that you have. We are very grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together tonight, as always, and to worship God and to spend time together. Tonight, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, we're going to be talking for a moment or two about my thorn in the flesh. Many of us are aware of the fact that the phrase thorn in the flesh has become somewhat of a proverb among us in our culture. When problems arise in life, whether it be a particular thing, a person, whatever the circumstance may be, there are times when we, there are times when we identify that as our thorn in the flesh. Paul knew something about a thorn in the flesh. And when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I gain insight into his heart and to what he was dealing with. And there are probably any number of questions that arise as we think about his thorn in the flesh. And we'll talk about that in just a moment or two. But tonight we want to think for just a very short period of time about my thorn in the flesh. And it might be the case that tonight, as you listen to this lesson, as you study with me, that you're already thinking about the thorn of flesh in your life. There's something bothering you. There's something that has been bothering you. It has been persistent. It's chronic. It has troubled you greatly. And so we're going to look at what Paul had to say, how Paul dealt with his thorn in the flesh, and hopefully and prayerfully it will benefit us. I want to begin tonight by, first of all, talking about the purpose of his pain, because Paul's going to talk about the tremendous pain that he is experiencing in this life. And as I said a moment ago, Paul is going to speak of his thorn in the flesh. And I guess maybe the first question that we might have what was the design of his thorn in the flesh? What was the purpose behind it? Well, as we think about the design of his thorn in the flesh, there are really two words, two key words that I would call attention to. The first word is revelation. The second word is humiliation. And Paul's going to tell us that this thorn in the flesh was given to him because of the abundant revelations that he had received in his physical life. And so what he's going to press, the point he's going to press is that God's design is that he might abound in humiliation or that he might have a humble spirit. So with that in mind, note if you would with me, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, It's doubtless 
not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know. Whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Typically, we talk about the three heavens. The first heaven would have to do with our atmosphere, the clouds where the birds fly. The second heaven would be descriptive of where the stars and the sun, the moon reside. And then the third heaven would be what we typically think of as the dwelling place of God. So Paul said that he was caught up to the third heaven. He said, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, you think about this word paradise. You remember in Luke 23 when Jesus was on the cross and one of the thieves turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus then replied by saying, today you shall be with me in paradise, the abode of the righteous. Verse 5, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I forbear, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Now look at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So as I said a moment ago, Paul here is saying basically that the purpose, the design of this thorn in the flesh, it was a result of the abundant revelations that he received, but it was in order to, as we say, keep him humble. And you know, Solomon said many years ago, pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. And you think about Paul and what a great man he was. Paul had been converted as a result of the Lord appearing to him on the road to Damascus. He became a tremendous servant of God. And you think about his life. Everything about his life suggested Christ and him crucified, didn't it? As a matter of fact, Paul would say, I determined not to know anything among, among you except Christ and him crucified. Paul sought to the best of his ability to lift up Christ to a fallen world. Paul, responsible for some 13 epistles in the New Testament, 27 books in, in the New Testament, and Paul wrote approximately 50% of those books. So the abundance of revelations, the abundance of the revelations that he had received. You remember in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talked about how he had received revelation from the Lord, and he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So the design was to keep him humble. And there's a lot to be said for humility. Because as Solomon said, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so his exhortation, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Why? That he might exalt you in due time. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see, and that has to do with the description of his thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul here said that there had been given unto him a thorn in the flesh. Now, 
First, the place of his pain. Paul said it was in the flesh. And I have no doubt that whatever it was, it was extremely painful. And we'll talk about some of the possibilities in a moment or two. But Paul here speaks of this thorn in the flesh. And the word thorn carries with it the idea of anything pointed. An instrument that produces extreme pain or discomfort. One writer would say acute irritation. So you get some insight into the level of pain that he experienced in his his life. Now, what about some of the particulars regarding his thorn in the flesh? What might that thorn in the flesh have been? Let me just read for you some of the possibilities, and I will leave it to you to determine the the validity of, of some of these possibilities. Tertullian thought that it was a headache. Klausner believed that it was epilepsy. Ramsey identified it as a recurrent malarial fever. Calvin said it was fleshly temptation. Martin Luther considered it spiritual temptation. John Knox said that it had to do with infirmities of the mind. McGarvey had had the belief that it had to do with his eyesight and that, that it was acute at that. McKnight believed that it had to do with false teachers. Lightfoot suggested blasphemous thoughts of the devil. And then another writer said that it may have been Malta fever. Now, biblically speaking, there are some possibilities. Let me just cite for you one in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 13, Paul writes, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. He said, My trial which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. He said, But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now there are a lot of, I think, capable scholars that would suggest that Paul's thorn in the flesh had to do with his vision, his eyesight. And I think that that's a very real probability. Now you can read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul obviously talks about a number of problems that he faced in his ministry, a number of adversities, and then we think about the constant, incessant problems that he, that he faced or encountered as a result of the Jews, the false teachers, those Judaizing teachers. I tend to believe it had to do with his eyesight. I could be wrong, but that's just my impression at this point in time in my study. But let's move from that and think in the second place for a moment about the persistence of his pain. And... As we think about the persistence of his pain, I want to begin by first discussing the fact that it was relentless pain. And as I think about his relentless pain, there are two things that come to mind. First, 
the immensity of his pain, and number two, the intensity of his pain. Now go back and look at verse 7 again, if you would, for a moment. Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Now we said a moment ago that whatever the pain may have been, it was, as he said, in the flesh. The word buffet is an interesting term. It means to strike with the fist, to mistreat violently. Literally what the word means is to strike with the knuckles, to make a crushing blow, a stinging blow. And what Paul is saying is that his body was being pounded. Now you think about the immensity of pain that the human body experiences sometimes. Add to that the horrific intensity of that pain. And you gain some insight into the level of pain that Paul experienced. As I said a moment ago, I think that quite possibly it had to do with his eyesight. If any of you have ever had problems with your eyes, then you know something about what Paul might have been dealing with. But it must have been a horrific ordeal. And Paul here is talking about how this thorn in the flesh had been given unto him and it was literally pounding him. As we would say, beating us up, beating us to death. There's something that I want you to think for a moment or two about. First, we take into consideration his relentless pain. But what was his response to the pain? I said a moment ago that you might be dealing with a thorn in the flesh in your own life. It might be a person. It might be a number of people. It might be a problem in your home. It might be a problem at work. It might be a problem with a friend. It might be a physical problem, even a mental problem, emotional problem. But you're dealing with a thorn in the flesh and it is beating you up daily. You feel like you're getting pounded every single day. So how do you respond to that? How did Paul respond? First, I want you to see, Paul said he pled prayerfully to the Lord. He said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord. Did Paul know something about prayer? You better believe he did. Paul was a man given to prayer, wasn't he? I think about when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. He said on one occasion, pray without ceasing. To the saints in Colossae, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. Paul would write to the same church in Thessalonica, and he would plead with them on his behalf and the behalf of his co-laborers in chapter 5, verse 25. He said, brethren, Pray for us. As you, as you face the battles of life and as you deal with possibly a thorn in your flesh, have you pled with the Lord about it in prayer? Have you gone before His throne as Paul did? Paul said, look, I pled with the Lord over this thing. I can just see Paul on his hands and knees 
praying to God. Because Paul believed in the power of prayer, didn't he? Not only did he believe in the power of prayer, but he was grateful for the privilege of prayer. You go back and you look at the life of Jesus and you think about Jesus is our perfect example, isn't he? And Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. And I think the Apostle Paul sought to pattern his life after the Lord Jesus. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. Jesus often spent time in prayer to the Heavenly Father. Now, not only did Paul plead prayerfully to the Lord, but the Bible says that he was persistent in his prayers to the Lord. Listen again to what he says in verse 8. Concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now I want to ask you a question. If you are dealing with a thorn in your flesh as we speak, ultimately what's your goal? I mean, what do you want out of it? Most of us, we want it, as Paul said, to depart from us, don't we? I mean, you talk about chronic, ongoing pain. Pain, I mean, that hurts down to the bone. Or pain that literally weighs on your emotions day in and day out and night after night after night. Paul is grappling with this thing. And he has prayed persistently to the Lord. Now, he said three times he prayed to the Lord that this thorn in the flesh would depart from him. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times to the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me? Now, when you read those words on the surface, it might be that you don't really gain insight into the measure of emotion that is pouring out of the heart of the Son of God. Luke says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. The Hebrew writer said, speaking of Christ, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. Here's the Son of God, Jesus, the incarnate Word, bowing in prayer to the Father, and he is literally pouring his heart out to the Father. So much so that the Bible says that he shed tears. You tell me Jesus wasn't spent, as we say, in the garden. And Paul is praying to Almighty God, and Paul is praying that God would remove this thorn in the flesh. And we get that, don't we? As I said a moment ago, the word buffet means to land crushing, pounding, stinging blows. Paul is being pounded, beaten up. He just wants some relief. We understand that, don't we? I mean, are there not times in life when you feel like waving the white flag and saying, you know what, I've had enough? I've had enough, Lord? That's Paul. Paul saying, Lord, please remove this thorn in the flesh. Now, I said a moment ago, Paul was persistent 
in his prayer life. There's a passage found in the book of Luke in chapter 18 that I think is very important. It's not a long passage, but it is profound. Jesus taught that men ought to always pray and not faint or grow discouraged. If you're battling a thorn in the flesh, whatever it might be in life, there is the possibility of discouragement. There is the tendency among people to grow weary, to give up. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 12 when the writer exhorted first century saints to run with patience the race, the Christian race? He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, look, consider him. Consider Jesus. And the reason is, he said, lest you become weary or grow weary and discouraged in your souls. The writer of Hebrews was encouraging those first century saints to hold on, to go on, to stay the course. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can lose sight of what we're facing in life. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. This has to do with the promise in his pain. First, the purpose of his pain. Secondly, we talk about the persistence of his pain, but then thirdly, the promise in his pain. It's my conviction that the Apostle Paul learned some things. I think he learned some things about himself. I think he learned some things about the Lord. And if you think about it, when we face difficulties and trials and tribulations and temptations in life, through those storms of life, we learn something about ourselves, and we learn something about the Lord, don't we? So, first, I believe the Apostle Paul learned something about the sufficiency of the Lord. Now, we talk about the all-sufficiency of Scripture, but I want to suggest to you tonight, as we think about the Lord, we're talking about an all-sufficient Lord, aren't we? The Lord who provides. Didn't Abraham learn that lesson back in Genesis chapter 22 when he offered Isaac? Here is the God who provides. Number one, I believe that Paul learned that the Lord would support him. Listen to him in verse 9. Now he's prayed to God three times that he would remove this thorn in the flesh. Here's what God said. My grace is sufficient for you. First, what did God say about that thorn in the flesh? Did he say, yes, I'll remove it, or did he say no? Listen, God said no to him, didn't he? I mean, this is the great apostle Paul. This is a man that has traveled the world preaching and teaching the gospel. This is a man that would ultimately be responsible for some 50% of the New Testament and God said no to him. If God said no to the Apostle Paul, who am I to question when God tells me no? And by the way, you remember when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's pouring out his heart to the Father and he's saying, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. How'd God respond to that? Do you remember? 
No other way. No. There is no other way. So what, what, what the Lord is saying to Paul is first and foremost, you need to understand something. I'm going to support you. I'm going to support you through thick and thin. Good times and bad times, highs and lows, joys and frustrations. Mountaintop, go to the mountaintop, down in the valley, guess what? I'm right there beside you. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul said, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Does God have the ability to supply the needs that we have? Yes, he does. Is he willing and able to supply whatever needs we may face in this life? The answer again, a resounding yes. And then probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Some have said Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and maybe he did. But Paul said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, listen to him, and find grace to help in time of need. What was it the Lord said to you, Paul? My grace is sufficient to you. What does the word grace mean? The unmerited favor of God? I like the definition that a friend said many years ago, he said, God's grace is simply this. God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Paul had, did not have the ability to remove this thorn in the flesh on his own, did he? So what he had to do was learn to live with it. And what God said was, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll get you through it, Paul. I will support you. He learned something about the support of the Lord. He also learned something about the fact that the Lord would sustain him. David learned that same lesson, didn't he? Do you remember in Psalm 55, verse 22, David's talking about somebody who has turned on him and created a lot of turmoil in his life. And David said in Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and what will he do? He will sustain you. What was it Peter said? Casting all your care on him. Why, Peter? Because he cares for you. Listen again to what the Lord said to the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. So he learned something about the sufficiency of the Lord. But then I think also he learned something about the strength of the Lord. Listen to the continuation. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Imagine that. Paul would later say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul learned something about the power of the Lord, didn't he? Do you remember that well-known verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Do you think Paul believed that? I think he did. I think not only did he believe it, he lived it. Paul knew something about, he learned something about the power of the Lord, and he learned something about praising the Lord. Now, you may think this is odd, but I want you to listen to what Paul, what Paul says. He's prayed to God that the Lord would remove this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, therefore, in light of all of this, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities. Why, Paul, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then, then I am strong. I think what Paul is saying is, you know what, when it's all said and done, there's some things I've learned. Paul is grappling with something that is very real in his life. And as I said a moment ago, it has been pounding him. It has been hounding him. And yet Paul can say, you know what? On the other side of the coin, I've learned some things. I've learned that in my weakness, I'm strong. Why am I strong? Because I've learned to to deeply, faithfully trust in whom? In the Lord. Do you remember Job when Job, Job has faced all of these difficulties in life? And you remember what he said over in chapter 13, verse 15? Though he slay me, what? I will trust him. Look, I may not understand everything that's going on in my life. I might not understand everything that's going on in your life. And I'll be honest, there are times when I really don't have, I don't have an answer for some of the things that, that people are dealing with in life. I'm just a human being. Just a regular guy. And I can look at what the Bible has to say. I can look at experience. And I can provide my perception. But there's some tough things that go on in this life. And there's some people that are grappling with their thorn in the flesh. And Paul had his thorn in the flesh. But Paul is saying here, you know what? I have learned some things from this. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, you remember in James chapter 1 what James wrote? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Is that not what Paul's saying here to some extent? And why would James say to Christians in the first century, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to count it joy when you face the various trials of life. I don't think that James is saying, I don't think Paul's saying, that when we are hurting immensely and when the pain is so intense and this storm is brewing in life, I don't think that Paul is saying or James is saying that we can find joy in the midst of that that trial. But I think what he is saying is once we get through that trial, Once we come out on the other side, we can look back and say, okay, now, what did I learn from all this? Is there something that I have learned? And hopefully and prayerfully, we have learned. Somebody said one time that if there's anything we've ever learned, it's we haven't learned from history. And sadly, sometimes we don't learn from the past. But what James is saying is that when we face difficulties in life, we can look back See that silver lining, can't we? That's what Paul's saying. Look, tough situation. Difficult, difficult. Can't imagine. And yet Paul could say, I've learned some things. And I would hope and pray that through the darkness of our own thorn in the flesh, that we can learn to praise God. Praise Him for who He is. Praise Him for what He is. Praise Him 
for being with us, standing beside us, and getting us through to the other side. There's a passage found in Psalm 56. If you don't have Psalm 56 as one of your go-to books in the Bible, I would encourage you to make a note of that chapter. Because David in the long ago said, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in his word. In verse 9, David said, this I know. God is for me. Look, sometimes when we're battling a thorn in the flesh or when we are battling adversity in life, we may come to the conclusion the Lord doesn't care. Or God is not on our side. That is far from truth. God was with Paul, he stood with Paul, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And listen, if it was sufficient for Paul, it's sufficient for us, isn't it? I want to close tonight by asking you this question, are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, first and foremost, you need to be. Life is tough, isn't it? And for some people, it just seems to get tougher. And so, to go through life without Christ, that's a t- that is a tough, tough thing. You need somebody on your side, and that somebody is the Lord. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ to recognize that Jesus paid the price for your sins. The Lord Jesus went to the cross and the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. If you would repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, the Lord will wash away your sins and put you in the church. Acts 22, 16, chapter 2, verse 47. If you're here tonight and you need the prayers of the church, we would be happy to pray with you and for you. It might be that you have sin in your life and you need the prayers of the church. It might be that you're battling a thorn in the flesh and you need the prayers of the church. And we'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.